Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Right now, U.S. offshore wind capacity is quite small, but if we reach the goal that the Biden administration has set of 30 gigawatts by 2030, that would be enough power to power 10 million homes. The impact here is is huge if you can meet that, that goal that the administration has set. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. My name is Kelsey Tamburino. I am an energy reporter at Politico. Increasing clean energy production has been a goal of the Biden administration from the jump. But two decades of cheap natural gas have undermined past efforts to create offshore wind production. Until now. Maybe. On the show today, finding America's next wind powerhouse, deep in oil country. So when I think of Texas or the Gulf of Mexico, one thing I think definitely of is oil. It's oil country. But you have been writing about how the Gulf Coast fossil fuel history could actually be the key to its offshore wind future. How? Yeah, so... The Gulf of Mexico, like you mentioned, has traditionally been the home for the U.S. oil and gas industry, a big hub for production of oil and gas. Mm -hmm. But in the region, there is a growing push to expand the region's offshore wind capacity, particularly given that that workforce in the region is primed for the transition to offshore wind. Companies in the region have already participated in the build-out of offshore wind on the East Coast, particularly for the Block Island Wind Farm, which is the nation's first uh, wind facility off the coast of Rhode Island. So they have built the components for these, these turbines, have manned the vessels that have helped bring those components to that region. So they have experience, and the region is looking to build on that experience to help grow jobs in the region, but also to help meet the Biden administration's targets for the offshore wind industry. President Biden has set a goal of building 30 gigawatts of offshore wind Mm. capacity by 2030, which is a lot considering right now the U.S. has 42 megawatts of offshore wind capacity. Wow, interesting. So as we were talking about, you know, this is original fossil fuel country. Is there at all political pushback to this? What's interesting is there's been some tempted excitement, I think, from unions in the region who think that this is, you know, a, a way for this industry to transition to clean energy. Or, and everyone that I talked to kind of spoke of it not as a replacement for the oil and gas industry, but an evolution of the industry, a way to use their skills for this new push for green energy. I think mm. there are challenges that folks that I talked to mentioned, one being that the price of electricity in the Gulf is a lot lower than it is on the East Coast. So bringing on these offshore wind projects that are very expensive could raise those prices. That's something that they're grappling with. Another thing is, you know, as part of this focus on jobs, union proponents will mention that the region typically has lower unionization rates. So the build-out of offshore wind will have to grapple with that. Think about how to entice these projects to be union made in order to really support the industry. But, you know, there's also hurricanes that are that are prone in this region. Yeah. And that's something that obviously happens on the East Coast as well. But that is something that the technology will have to advance to meet that. 
Yeah. So the weather is one of the challenges to doing it there. What can you speak again to how this came to be? Like, has this been something that has been percolating for a while? And like, what are the advantages of doing it in the Gulf of Mexico specifically? Yeah. So this is something, you know, like I mentioned, the administration has put a big focus on offshore wind. They have seen this as an industry that they can grow from the ground up since the capacity in the U.S. right now is pretty low. Um, And they see this as a way to really transition workers to the clean energy economy and and provide jobs because there's a way to build these projects with good paying jobs. Um, So that's really been a focus that we've seen across the board from the administration. The energy secretary, the interior secretary, a bunch of cabinet secretaries have had a focus on this in the administration. Mm. Um, The Gulf of Mexico specifically is interesting because Like you mentioned, there's this oil and gas infrastructure in place, but that also means that there's pipeline infrastructure in place that some folks I talked to said could be utilized to also expand the growth of green hydrogen in in the U.S., which is a new frontier of technology, basically, that right now is heavily dependent on gas. Um, But, you know, folks who I talked to said the turbines in the water could help power these projects. And then because of that pipeline infrastructure in place, move this hydrogen to where it needs to go. And that's really a unique element of this debate and this conversation is that, you know, the Gulf is is uniquely positioned to advance that sort of new technology as well. So what's the timeline here? So the timeline is pretty, it's not something that's going to happen tomorrow. The Biden administration has set a goal, like I said, to have 30 gigawatts of offshore wind capacity by 2030. And as part of that, they've uh, outlined a schedule for lease sales across the U.S., seven specifically lease auctions by 2025. And the Gulf is part of that, the Gulf of Mexico. So the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, which is the federal agency that's tasked with planning and leasing offshore energy projects, is currently weighing the Gulf and they're expected to complete a draft environmental assessment of the region and the effects of wind on the region by this summer. They're still engaging in this process and and talking to the communities and weighing all the obstacles here. But there should be, or they're outlining with the hope of having an auction in the region by 2025. Mm. You know, a lot of folks that I spoke to see kind of the writing on the wall. We're not necessarily going to not be dependent on oil and gas tomorrow, but there needs to be this transition. And they see this as a way for those workers to get involved early on, to be involved in the conversations of how to do this in a just way, as the administration has put a focus on. And I think, you know, they've really made this point that they they want to make clear to oil and gas workers that this is not going to be something that's going to rid themselves of their jobs, which is really be an evolution of their skills in order to help another industry and to really just be another source of energy, which the Gulf has already been home to this energy production to just really put another tool in its tool belt. Mm. Did you do a reporting trip for this? Were you down there? Yeah. So I went to New Orleans um, and visited the LM wind facility, well, wind turbine facility, which is actually where Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm went last month to visit. And that trip was interesting because she visited this wind facility, but she also visited a strategic petroleum reserve facility in the region. So she really did both look at the oil and gas industry and the wind industry and made this pitch that, you know, we want to support workers for the next hundred years in this nation. And part of that is moving them into the clean energy economy. Mm. I just think it's interesting that, you know, folks are already making this case. I mean, like I said, it's early on 
in the process for the Gulf of Mexico, but there's this acknowledgement that this industry really is uniquely positioned in that it's it's already knows how to work on rigs in the ocean. It's already, you know, grappled with how to position rigs and to work with fishermen. So a lot of the challenges that we see on the East Coast, this industry has already dealt with in the Gulf of Mexico, which makes them uniquely positioned for, you know, this push going forward. Kelsey Tamburino, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet. And if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>